0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, Others suffered, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Praise be to God. If you guys don't have a Bible, if you would just Google ESV chapter 11, uh, Hebrews. So Hebrews 11, ESV. If you just Google that, you'd find it. You want to be looking at this because there's just amazing artistry to this passage. Um, The writer of Hebrews has already shown us the faith of Old Testament believers. He started with Abel and he went through Rahab. And um, he's like, I could just keep going on and on like this, but we need to move on. And we've been two months in this chapter, so he's giving us that gentle nudge that it's time to wrap it up. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets who conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. What he's showing here is that every time God's people were delivered, it was by faith you know, they trusted God, they trusted his promises, and they were delivered. And look at the amazing variety of the ways they were delivered. It says, by faith they conquered kingdoms. That would be warriors in this list, like, uh, like Barak and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and David. And they enforced justice, and that would be the judges and the kings as they were bringing justice to the land. Um, it says they uh, stopped the mouths of lions. Who was that? Daniel, right? Daniel, stop the mouth of lions. You put the lion down. It says that they quenched the power of fire. Who was that? <laughs> Who was it? A brave soul. Come on. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, and they were thrown in the fiery furnace, and they were delivered alive, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Or it says, uh, by faith, women received their dead back by resurrection. You guys, this is a tougher one. Who was that? You guys remember the Old Testament? Old Testament, sorry. But you're right. What were you? Saying? Yeah, the widow, the widow of Zarephath. And her son had died, and Elijah raised her boy from the dead. And, uh, and these guys, they, they weren't delivered by their own righteousness. That's one thing to notice from this list. When you look at the list of people that he lists, it's very clear that they weren't, they weren't delivered by their own righteousness. Um, it, this list, um, to the writer of Hebrews and to the readers, those who were steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, Would know very well the sins of these people. In fact, as you read them, you might have thought, well, but there was that incident with, you know, right? Um, We think about Barak's cowardice that he refused to go to battle without Deborah's help, or Gideon, you know, his lack of faith when he asked for a sign after he was told by the angel of the Lord something, and then he was like, I'm going to need a sign for that, which, you know, you would think an angel telling you would be enough, or Samson's obvious sexual sin and pride. I mean, you read Judges 13 through 16, and you're like, I don't see how this guy's a hero. Or uh, Sam- Samuel, actually Samuel is really great, but what about, what about David? What about his adultery? What about his exploitation of um, Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah? And it actually doesn't mention any of their obvious sins and weaknesses, And I just think that's a really amazing thing about Hebrews 11 in general. He just mentions the faith they had in the Lord. And I think, as I brought up before, I think this really shows us how the Lord views us, how the Lord views us in Christ. He sees us in his son, Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, he sees you as in Christ. And so he's got a very similar story to tell about you with all the sin removed, with Christ's righteousness imputed to you, and just seeing you living by faith. Isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful thing. It's clear that the Lord didn't deliver these people because of their own righteousness. It wasn't that they were really great people and they needed some help and the Lord kind of was obligated to do it. No, they were rescued in spite of their sin. You know, some of these guys, their sins are very obvious. Some of their sins were besetting sins that they dealt with over and over and over again. And yet the Lord didn't abandon them and he's not gonna abandon you either. So the Lord delivered his people by grace through faith. But this passage also shows us Not only does God deliver his people by faith, but sometimes he allows them to suffer by faith. Did you guys notice the striking shift in verse 35? Did you guys notice it? Let me read it to you again and just listen for the shift that happens in this. It's so beautiful the way it's written. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. This is one of those places in Hebrews where you see just the amazing artistry of his writing. The fact that he doesn't have like a strong transition there. He shows all these ways that faith conquers and all the deliverances, and then it flows straight into all of this suffering. There's no strong transition there. There's not in the middle of verse 35, it doesn't say, but, or on the other hand, or for people that had less faith, this happened to them. Doesn't say any of that, right? What it's showing is that this is one unified picture of what living by faith looks like. God delivers us by faith. He also allows us to suffer by faith. And guys, we need this. As 21st century American Christians, we need this corrective because we tend not to think that the life of faith could look like this or that when we're suffering and things are going wrong, that God could really be at work in us, right? Do you guys wrestle with that? You know, we don't think that like if we're really faithful to the Lord, if we really believe that these kind of things will happen to us. Guys, we're a very triumphalistic bunch, and it's our culture. We tend to think if we really had faith that we'd be the ones conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice and stopping the mouths of lions, and and, and God does do those things. God answers prayer. He delivers us mightily. He heals. He does all kinds of things. These things happen. God does act in those ways, but as American Christians, we really don't seem to have a category for what it looks like to be a faithful Christian and be tortured and refuse release or be destitute, afflicted mistreated, homeless, right? You know, maybe for Bible people, we're like, oh yeah, Bible people could be really faithful to the Lord and all those terrible things could happen to them. Or your uh, church history heroes, you're like, oh yeah, for them. Or people in other countries, sure, you know, could be really faithful to the Lord and their lives could just be a wreck. But us, we're Americans, so we're exceptional. Somehow we believe that the Christian life is going to lead to only verses 32 through 35a. <laughs> no verse 35b for us. And the worst forms of this, um, which you guys are aware of, is a thing called the prosperity gospel. It's a very American way of thinking. And the prosperity gospel says that it's God's will for you that he would prosper you in your finances, in your health, and in your relationships. His will is for you to prosper in your finances, your health, and your relationships. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches, that if you really had faith, God would bless you with money and health and happy relationships. And the key to get all that blessing is your faith. I hope no one edits out this clip and is like, (laughs) they're like, he's teaching the prosperity gospel now. The key to it is faith, right? That if you believed enough, you know, this text says by faith, they conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, right? If you would have that faith, you're going to get all those things, And the examples of faith that they give always look like those first few verses of this passage, right? They're always people with great hair, you know, great teeth, perfect skin, going from strength to strength, right? And they're always so grateful to be so hashtag blessed, right? Because they're living by faith, right? But here's the thing, guys. The prosperity gospel is a lie, and it's cruel, It's extremely cruel to sufferers because when you suffer, not if, when you suffer, you're either going to be mad at yourself because you didn't have the faith you needed to have, obviously, or you're going to be mad at God because you had the faith and he didn't come through on his promises, right? Either God lets you down or you let God down. And the other thing about the prosperity gospel is that when people suffer, they tend to be ashamed of their suffering, right? So there's this added layer of pain You know, somebody's already dealing with like a severe disease or, you know, their marriage is falling apart or whatever. And they have this added layer of pain of, did I not believe enough? Or did God abandon me? And this added layer of shame that somehow they didn't measure up. It's cruel guys. And most of you would say, yeah, I see right through that. Like I've watched videos on this. I already know, you know, I already know about the prosperity gospel. I know about those guys that are always trying to take money and stuff like that. The worst thing they take though, guys, is not the money. Right? It's the suffering <laughs> that's compounded. And most of you guys would say, I see through that. But guys, just by virtue of being 21st century American Christians, we believe a lot of this stuff. You know, we may reject the prosperity of the gospel, but we at least have a prosperity mindset. You know, maybe that's what we call it a prosperity mindset. That if, if you're really faithful to the Lord, He'll prosper your money and your health and your relationships. So that when we suffer, sometimes we're like, Lord, what's the deal? I was faithful. Well, that's a prosperity mindset, right? I was faithful and then I suffered. Why did God let me down? Peter said this. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. And yet we do think it's strange, right? Right? This shift in the middle of verse 35, and this is why I want you to really look at the passage. This shift in the middle of verse 35 shows how false the prosperity gospel is, or even the prosperity mindset. Let's not even think about people out there. Let's think about us. Let's think about our prosperity mindset. This passage, this shift shows us how that's so false. It shows us suffering doesn't mean your faith has failed, and suffering doesn't mean God's promise has failed. Notice how after he shows how God delivered all those people, He doesn't say in verse 35, but others who had less faith got these outcomes. He doesn't say that, right? He's implying that in this whole passage, it's all the same faith, right? Um, Verse 33 says, by faith, lists all the accomplishments of faith. And that list doesn't end until verse 39, when it says, all these commended through their faith. He's bracketing it, right? He's saying, all of this is what you can expect to do by faith, right? Sometimes God delivers his people from suffering by faith, and many of us have received that, right? Amazing answers to prayer, amazing providences where God has just come through and he's, he's, he's rescued us from all sorts of things. Sometimes God delivers his people from suffering by faith. Sometimes, guys, God sustains his people through suffering by faith, and that's what we see in the last half of this. And the original readers needed this, guys. The original readers, remember, they were Jewish Christians. They were Jews that had left Judaism because they believed Jesus was the Messiah, and that brought them a whole lot of suffering. Imagine these people. They, they left Judaism, and then their life falls apart, right, as they're following the Messiah. They could easily start to think back to their history and think, well, you know, the Lord delivered David and the Lord delivered Moses, and the Lord delivered our people and brought them out of Egypt and all these things, right? And they could have started to think, why isn't the Lord delivering me? You know, maybe I'm on the wrong path. You could see how they think they're on the wrong path, right? I mean, their finances weren't great, right? You know, with people stealing their stuff regularly and everything, probably didn't have good finances. You know, their health had suffered since they kind of got beat up a lot, (laughs) right? And you know what? They didn't have the happiest relationships, seemed like everybody kind of hated them. You could see how they'd have these doubts, right? That maybe they were on the wrong path. I mean, where is the victorious Christian life for these people? The writer of Hebrews was showing them that suffering doesn't mean their faith has failed. And if you're in a place of suffering this morning, I just want you to be comforted by this passage that it doesn't mean your faith has failed. It says nothing about the quality of your faith that you're suffering this morning. It says nothing that there's a lack there. I mean, think about some of these people he describes here. Was it a lack of faith in Jeremiah's life that got him beat up and put in stocks? Good answer. (laughs) If Zechariah would have stepped it up a bit and had a little more faith, would God have kept King Joash from stoning him? Tradition tells us that Isaiah is the one that was sawn in two. Not enough faith, maybe. Of course not guys it's like ridiculous right faith does not prevent suffering right and believing that faith somehow prevents suffering that if we really really really, like squeeze our faith you know gland or whatever and try and produce as much faith that somehow it'll keep us from suffering is really just a vain attempt to try to control our own lives right i mean life's scary there's like a there's endless amounts of terrible things that could happen to us at any moment right And this is a vain attempt to try and like, instead of trusting in the God of providence and whatever he brings is something that he is going to work for our ultimate good, we try to trust in our own faith that somehow if I just like squeeze really hard and believe really hard, nothing bad will happen to me. It's a vain attempt, guys. These suffering saints in the Old Testament, the ones in the second half of this passage, had at least as much faith as the ones in the beginning of the passage, right? You know, he calls them those of whom the world was not worthy, And yet they were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, poorly clothed, and homeless. And yet God treasured them. Isn't that amazing how God says these were people of whom the world was not worthy? Like he looks at his suffering saints, his believers, his his children in suffering, and he says to the world, you had no right to treat my kids like this. He's like, you weren't even worthy of them for them to speak the word to you. So whether you're suffering right now by persecution or you're suffering in your body, maybe in physical pain or some disease, you're suffering in your body or you're suffering in your mind, you know, some sort of mental health thing, you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with bipolar, you're dealing with something in your mind or, or whether the suffering's in your relationships, right? Know that the Lord treasures you as his suffering, saint. he thinks the world is not worthy of you. Sounds kind of like intense, doesn't it? it sounds like too much and yet that's what he thinks of his kids. The world's not worthy of them. Sometimes God delivers us from suffering by faith. Sometimes he uh, sustains us through suffering by faith, and he will sustain you. He sustained these people here. So suffering doesn't mean your faith has failed. It also doesn't mean God's promise has failed, and I just feel like I have to be really clear about this. God never promised us health, wealth, and prosperity. It never happened, okay? We think he did, but it never happened, okay? He never promises these things. Now, where people get confused sometimes is they look at the Old Testament, and in the Mosaic covenant, okay, the covenant he made through Moses to Israel, he pronounced covenant earthly blessings for obedience and earthly curses for disobedience. Sometimes we look at those and we go, like, see, look, if you obey and you do the right thing, we're reading the Old Testament, then he'll bless us. Those were his covenant earthly blessings for obedience, and earthly curses for disobedience. That was something he had with Israel, the Mosaic Covenant. And we can see from the rest of the Old Testament how that went. It's actually not the arrangement you want. You know, when you see them consistently getting like beat up and taken out of the land and people marauding them and all this stuff, these are all things that are happening because they were disobedient to the covenant and God's bringing earthly curses. So you actually don't want that arrangement and you don't have that arrangement. Right? God never promised us health, wealth, and happy relationships. Now, Jesus did say, in this life you'll have tribulation. That's a promise. Right? The word tribulation means, it's the ellipsis, it means to squeeze. We all felt that? Felt squeezed by suffering? He also promised that um, we should pick up our cross and follow him. But guys, we tend to believe it's only when we're delivered from suffering that God's really at work. You know, we'll pray that way. Like, Lord, show up. I don't need you to really work here. And, and sometimes we feel like it's only the times when he comes and delivers us from suffering that God's really at work. Or that's only the time he can really be glorified. You guys ever feel like that? He's glorified when he delivers me from suffering He's glorified when he, you know, shows up and delivers me. You know, when we get the healing or when the church fills a stadium or when we receive a promotion or when our marriage is great or when our kids are, you know, well-adjusted and successful or at least slightly above average, we feel like God's at work, like he's being glorified in this, right? Guys, well, what about when the disease worsens and our memories fail and ministry dries up and our marriage is lost? No one wants to talk about that, Right? or our kids are struggling is God at work then. Let me ask you this, does does the suffering saint glorify God any less than the successful one? Like our American Christianity says the successful ones glorifying God, right? Going from strength to strength. The suffering one's not. But I'll tell you guys just from experience, aside from scripture, from experience, seeing the way you guys, some of you guys are trusting God in the midst of a broken marriage or a prodigal kid or physical pain or financial loss like it's clear that you're glorifying god in this it's clear that god's at work in your life you know guys the book of hebrews is jesus is better right when you suffer faithfully and god sustains you through it it shows that jesus is better right your faith you know in the face of death shows that jesus is better than life you know your faith in the face of uh, bankruptcy shows that jesus is better than money you know your faith in the face of sickness shows that jesus is better than health Like, he's showing the world that. He's at work in that. He's being glorified in that. Your faith in loneliness shows that Jesus is the best of all companions. Your suffering, your faithful suffering, the way he sustains you, is showing what Hebrews says, which is, Jesus is better. Amen? That glorifies God, right? So the Lord often does his best work that way. I mean, how many of you guys can can look back on your life, maybe some of this is too soon, but stuff further back in your life where you can go like... God did his best work in me through affliction, right? I think if we look back, you know, maybe it's too fresh now, but we can look back on some, some things he's done in our life and we can say he's done his best work then. Jesus put it this way, listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So He's talking about a life as a seed, he's saying the way that we're fruitful is by dying, right? The seed has to die. It's when we die to ourselves that we bear fruit. It's when we die to our own security. That's what suffering does, right? It makes you die to your, secure, your own security. It makes you die to your comfort, die to your control. Like, you guys know this, that that's when your life has been the most fruitful for Christ. And he says if a seed is alone, it does nothing for anyone. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. That seed is our our dying. We bless others by having losses, actually. And we see that most brightly in who? In Jesus Christ, right? We see it most brightly in Him. When did Jesus' life glorify God most? You know, you think about His life and you think there was a lot of His life that was like, wow, you know? But He actually didn't glorify God most when He could, like, win any debate or when He could do any miracle or um, when He could you know, escape any attacker, right? It was when he trusted his father and he laid down his life. That was the ultimate work of God. It was when Jesus wasn't delivered. It was when he accepted torture, refusing release to be raised to a better life. It was when he was mocked and flogged. It was when he was destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, right? Jesus, the man of whom the world was not worthy, that man took our sin on the cross for us to one day turn all of our sufferings to glory. Amen. And uh, his sufferings were turned to glory when in his resurrection and ascension. But notice that Jesus' pattern of life was cross then crown. It was suffering then glory, right? That's the pattern. Our problem is we expect the glory now. Don't we? We're like we hear a cross then crown, we're like no 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 no, let's do the crown now, right? We hear suffering, than glory, and we don't like that. Martin Luther, the reformer, he called this the theology of glory. The theology of glory is the idea that you get all the healing and deliverance and prosperity now. That's a theology of glory. And he said what we need is we need a theology of the cross. We need to understand more and more in our hearts, and not only just to believe it and accept it, but even to rejoice in the fact that it's cross, then crown. That somehow God's going to work amazingly through our dying, that he's going to work amazingly through our suffering and our loss. He said we need a theology of the cross, not a theology of glory. You guys remember when Jesus uh, tells his disciples, probably not for the first time, that he was going to die on the cross? You guys remember what Peter did? Remember his response? It says, And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. That's probably a bad idea. (laughs) Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Right? He didn't like the sound of that. He's like, no, no, your crown, that's what you deserve. Right? And he was right, but that's not what he was going to do first. And what did Jesus say? He turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter had a theology of glory, right? He needed a theology of the cross. And in the next verse, Jesus gives him a theology of the cross. He says, This, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever would save his life, will lose it. And whoever loses it for my sake will find it. It's cross, then crown, it's suffering, and then glory. And, and we see this, right? We see this all through the Gospels. We see it all through, like, everyone except for one of the apostles was brutally killed, right? There's a pattern here of cross, then crown, suffering, then glory. And the the glory is in verse 39. Take a look at it. Go back to Hebrews 11, verse 39. This is the coming glory. He says this, and all these, and he's talking about everyone in Hebrews 11, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect." Now we looked at this in the beginning of Hebrews 11, but it's interesting what he says about these Old Testament believers. He says they've, they've gone, they've gone off to be with the Lord, right? They're in heaven. And then he says this, really interesting, he says that they still haven't received what is promised. They still haven't been made perfect. And you're like, okay, well, what have they not received, you know? So they're, they're in heaven, they're, they're with the Lord, they're enjoying Christ, and yet they haven't received all that was promised, and they haven't been made perfect. And You guys, anyone want to venture a guess? What's coming next for them? What have they not received? What's next on their timeline? On their calendar? Yeah, right. Resurrection in the new world, right? So there's things they haven't received everything that was promised yet. They haven't received that that land that Abraham looked forward to, you know, or those riches that uh, Moses looked forward to. He's talking here about the resurrection in new earth. So they're in heaven now, those who have died in Christ. But they're waiting for more, right? They're waiting for the resurrection. They're waiting for the new world. And, and when does it indicate they're going to receive these things? When are they going to receive what was promised and be made perfect? It says in verse 40 that it won't be apart from us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What are they waiting for? What are these saints waiting for? They're waiting for us. Isn't that great? They're going to receive the resurrection the new world. They're waiting for us. They're waiting for you all these Old Testament believers, and all the believers who have died since, and all of your friends and family that have died in Christ, they're waiting. They're waiting for us. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for us to finish our race. And Gabe's going to talk next week about the great cloud of witnesses, but, but they're waiting, right? They're waiting for us to finish up our race. So hurry up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so that they can receive their, their new bodies in the new world with us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And it's a really cool image. It's like It's like at the dinner table, you know, you wait until everybody from the family sits down before you start eating dinner. And that's what they're doing. They're waiting for the whole family to arrive. Then the Lord's going to make all things new. He's going to resurrect us, give us new bodies, and we're going to enjoy Christ together. How does that sound? Sounds amazing, right? The cross and then glory, but the glory is coming. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray, Lord, that you would continuously and evermore drive deep into our hearts that um, suffering is not for nothing and that you do some of your greatest work in us through suffering and that when we are in that place of the second half of this section that we're those people who have prayed for deliverance and yet you're sustaining us through suffering instead of delivering us from it Um, we pray lord that we would remember that you're doing something great And that you're causing our lives to be like the seed that was planted and dies, that it might bear fruit. Lord, we trust you. We trust that you are going to cause all kinds of amazing kingdom fruit in the pain we endure. And we thank you, Lord, that you're not a God that's sitting up on a throne and has never experienced pain, but you have come and experienced the most pain ever. That in Jesus... We can have that settled certainty that you, Lord, know what suffering is like in a way that we never will. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son to die for our sins, to turn all of our agony to glory. I pray, Lord, that this just strengthens us. This gives us joy. This gives us hope. This gives us boldness. This gives us courage. This gives us a deep sense of gratitude to you. Lord, your plans are perfect. Your ways are perfect. And we pray that like all the saints that we've learned about in, in Hebrews 11, that you would cause us by faith to trust you and trust in your promises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.